I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. Late on Inauguration Day, the Senate Education Committee announced that it had delayed its vote on Betsy DeVos's nomination as Education Secretary by one week to January 31st. The delay will give senators time to dig into DeVos's recently filed ethics paperwork, as well as to continue probing her long track record as a philanthropist and education advocate. And no aspect of that track record has proven more contentious than her involvement in Detroit, where she played a major role in the development of the city's charter school sector. I'm Marty West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, and I'm joined today by Max Eden. Max is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and co-author with Jason Bedrick of a recent post on the Ednext blog that pulls together all of the available information on the performance of charter schools in the Motor City. Max, welcome to the Ednext podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Marty. So why don't you start out by telling listeners why you went through this exercise of pulling all of this data together? Yeah, of course. Um, So, you know, normally getting together a bunch of information and putting it on graphs and posting it is a kind of uh, boring, tedious, and uninteresting exercise. But in this case, I felt it was quite uh, necessary to inform the debate because generally when we have education policy discussions, the the role of us, the role of fellows and journalists and publications like Next is to uh, look at what the research says, think about how that might inform policy, and then think about how the political debates will unfold from that. Uh, But when I looked at the political debates around the DeVos confirmation and what uh, both wonks and journalists were saying alike, it seemed to me much more like uh, the politics of it was not only coloring the policy discussion, but actually coloring what the data said. So if I was a casual observer paying sort of, you know, loose attention to the debate over Betsy DeVos and her track record, especially in Detroit, I think I would have the impression from reading the New York Times and other outlets that this is actually a black mark on her record, one that would raise questions about her qualifications or or at least about her approach to school reform. But that's not your interpretation. So tell me why that's the case. Yeah, I mean, you you would absolutely have that interpretation because the New York Times has said that uh, Detroit charters perform at the same dismal level as public schools. It said that uh, they perform often as well as and sometimes worse. And the uh, national education correspondent went so far as to say that more than half perform uh, as well as or worse than public schools. But when you look at the, the three sources that we have to compare this, you see absolutely no support for that in the evidence. Uh, The most commonly cited source, of course, is the Credo study out of Stanford, which shows uh, a majority of charter schools outperforming and less than 10% underperforming. Now, that data is relatively old. It was before the expansion, so it's fair to question it. But two other data sources, one from the Mackinac Center, which is a center-right public policy think tank, and one for Excellent Schools Detroit, which is a local education nonprofit, who both uh, grade charter and district schools along different metrics. Uh, One uses regression analysis and one combines value-added and absolute test scores. They all show uh, that Detroit's charters significantly outperform the district schools. So uh, what you hear in the media is the exact opposite of what the data say. And why is this relevant to the question of whether Betsy DeVos should be confirmed as education secretary? Yeah, so whenever whenever there is uh, somebody who is put forth in the public debate as promoting school choice, 
the knock against him or her rhetorically is something like they want to destroy public education. Uh, now, it seems always a little bit hyperbolic to me, to say the least, but if the charters in Detroit uh, that DeVos's policies helped to foster actually performed worse than the worst public schools, the worst district schools in the nation, uh, then maybe it wouldn't be an overstatement. But on the other hand, if the Detroit charter schools perform better than the district schools, albeit still perhaps not nearly as well as we would like to hope that they would, uh, then the story is entirely different. Then it's, a, it's an approach that helped to take an awful situation and make it, at the very least, marginally better. Uh, and then that kind of, whichever of those two you think are true, therefore colors uh, the way that you interpret both DeVos's nomination and her prospects for her reign as secretary. So let's be clear about exactly what you're arguing, because uh, it is certainly the case that student achievement in Detroit, in both the charter and the traditional public sector, is still incredibly low, right? Uh, it's not as if um, there's been a dramatic transformation, at least to date, in the level at which students are performing there. No, I mean, it, it, it would be uh, flippant and wrong to say something like uh, Betsy DeVos made Detroit schools great again. <laughs> uh, that's, that's not at all what the data shows. What the data shows is that the charter schools outperform the district schools, which is a very low baseline. Um, now, when we think about that, however, we should really wonder what baseline do we want to compare it to? A lot of uh, wonks and pundits want to compare it to something like Boston or something like New Orleans and say that because the absolute level of charter performance is lower in Detroit than those two other cities, that shows a failure. Uh, but it's kind of not the way we usually talk about these things. We almost always talk about these things uh, as performance of charters relative to district schools. And we do that for a reason, because cities are different, school systems are different, uh, the background of students are different from city to city. Uh, and so I'm not arguing that the Detroit, public, Detroit charter schools are objectively good. However, the way that we normally justify charter success in other cities justify, uh, argues that Detroit's charters have been a success. It seems to me that the key interpretive difference between you and someone like Tulane professor Doug Harris, who's also written on this topic uh, for the Ednext blog, is really how we think about the comparison group of Detroit traditional public schools. Um, you're sort of uh, presenting that performance level as something that maybe tells us something about how difficult it is for a variety of reasons to run high-performing schools in Detroit, whereas someone like Doug Harris is saying, actually, you know, that's telling us that the charter schools, by only moderately outperforming the traditional public schools, aren't doing that great a job. No, I think, I think that is uh, an accurate way to assess the kind of difference of priors that leads to the difference in debate. And you know, it's, it's fair to say that it's an open question. Um, it's, fair to, it's fair for somebody like Harris or other folks uh, to argue, no, we, this performance is unacceptable. We've seen cities that are better, and therefore this performance is bad. Um, but that's something that we almost never do in any other context. Uh, usually we take the, the baseline and compare how charters perform to the baseline because we understand that cities are different, contexts are different. Uh, unlike New Orleans, the charter sector in Detroit wasn't able to spring up uh, like Athena out of Zeus, out of the ashes of a catastrophe, it's had to kind of claw its way uh, hand over heel 
against a district that has been both perpetually failing and perpetually dysfunctional and kind of uh, slowly sinking further into the mire. So uh, I understand how some could look at that and think, oh, well, we need to compare it to other cities because schools are schools. Uh, but that doesn't seem to me to be a fair way to look at it, certainly not unless you're going to concede that that's a major assumption. Now, another aspect of the debate over DeVos's role in Detroit actually goes beyond the evidence on the relative performance of charter in traditional public schools and really uh, focuses on her intervention in a specific debate about efforts to increase accountability for all schools, but charter schools in particular in the city. Um, have you looked into her role in that? And is that a fair critique that, uh, that she's resisted efforts to really tighten up performance, uh, increase accountability for all schools in the city? Yeah, I've, uh, I've looked into it quite a bit and I have a piece, uh, a couple of pieces, one in the 74 and one in city journal trying to, to analyze the debate. I think that the critique is fair, but only to a point and the way in which it has been presented has been, uh, unfair. It has been presented as though she opposed accountability and fought to decrease it. Um, in the New York Times, it said that she opposed any regulation as too much regulation, and the editorial said that she won legislative changes that reduced charter oversight. Um, that's just not accurate. There was a debate over how much to increase uh, oversight, and in that debate, DeVos advocated for some positions and not others and advocated against uh, one in particular, so it's fair to say that perhaps she did not uh, advocate for as much additional accountability as some would like. She rather advocated for additional accountability, but only to a point. And so what was the specific change that she opposed? Yeah, um, she opposed the creation of what was called the Detroit Education Commission, which was an effort to create a kind of portfolio management system for Detroit's charter sectors, in which the mayor would appoint seven uh, representatives, ideally relatively balanced ones, who would have power to create school grades for Detroit's charter and district schools, and also say over both which charter schools should close and where charter schools should open. Uh, now, this is something that was supported by uh, you know quite a few wonks and something that journalists were pretty sympathetic to, but the worry that uh, DeVos had, and the worry that the Great Lakes Educational Project, which she helped to back had, is that if and when you put elected officials in, front, in charge of this sector, um, A, they don't always make the wisest decisions, and B, the incentives that they were operating under might well cause them to tap down on the charter sector and favor the district sector. Now, there's still a lot of interest in the past, in what happened in Detroit, and your article is happy to say, generating a lot of traffic to our website. But obviously, since last week's confirmation hearing, a lot of the conversation has shifted to focus on how she performed at that hearing. I wonder uh, if you have any reflections on what happened last week uh, when the Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee was able to ask a, question, a few questions of their own of the nominee. Yeah, um, there's certainly a lot of ground to cover in that. I mean, one be the the first thing that I would say is that at one point when she was asked about her record in Michigan, she said that there has been a lot of false news, which is a kind of politer term of uh, turn of phrase than fake news, but something that I think, given the nature of the media coverage, has been is a, is a fair assessment. Um, but most of the 
most of the discussion around it focused on a few questions and a few answers to those questions, uh, on which I think, to, to my mind, the story fairly read is that she did not perform uh, as well as one could have expected, but certainly not nearly as poorly uh, as a lot of the social media splicing and hand-wringing commentary uh, has given the broader public the impression of. Yeah, she certainly seemed to have some blind spots about aspects of federal policy, in some cases important aspects of federal uh, education policy. Um, that implies she'll have a steep learning curve, but maybe that's you know what you'd expect when you have an outsider as the appointee. And one way to read the election results is that's exactly what the public has been looking for. No, I think I think that is that is a fair assessment. I mean, I, I think that. Broadly speaking, uh, Donald Trump was not elected because people thought that he had greater expert insight into the workings of Washington, but rather because they thought that uh, as an outsider, without uh, being prejudiced by many, many years of intricate policy debates, that he could bring uh, fresh eyes and a fresh perspective to the entire thing. So the the upside, the way to look at the DeVos hearing, is that uh, some of the places where she has a learning curve could hopefully... Uh, is hopefully in keeping with the reason why Trump was elected and she was appointed and could actually help breathe a breath of fresh air into the debate. Now, that might be a Pollyannish way to look at it, but it seems to me to be a a more charitable way to look at it than to assume that a cheeky answer about grizzly bears uh, is indicative of broad ignorance rather than uh, an attempt to explain the principles of federalism in a kind of fun way. Well, I thought the grizzly bear... uh incident was an an interesting one. Uh, She's obviously widely been mocked for using that as an example as to why she might not support a standard nationwide rule, in this case about a policy involving school guns. Uh, I think she would be interested to know that we already have such a policy uh, not allowing guns near schools in effect. Um, But I actually think the instinct that led her to that answer to be the instinct to be skeptical that universal federal mandates will work well in every community nationwide is actually one that would be reassuring to some of her critics who fear that she's going to dismantle or uh, public education nationwide or force her own preferences on their communities. No, I would um, I would kind of second that and go even further. I mean, one thing that was kind of lost in the the social media mockery was the fact that. Uh, her policy statement was a dramatic backtracking off of Trump's stated campaign promise, which was to uh, ban schools from being allowed to designate themselves as gun-free zones. So the Trump campaign platform, uh, campaign promise, was that guns must be allowed in schools, uh, which is something that for 38% of Americans uh, is quite wrong and for most Americans is uh, quite sensible or the other way around. And so the, the, the kind of consistent refrain that she gave to that question and to others of, I think it's best for states and localities to decide, I think it's best for states and localities to decide, I think it's best for states and localities to decide, um, is something that a lot of uh, pundits and wonks who have priors that uh, D.C. can know what's best and that we should have schools do the best things, uh, they see those answers as indicative of ignorance, but a lot of people would see those answers as indicative of humility and indicative of understanding that uh, people are different, states are different, communities are different, 
And because of those differences, it might be wiser to let them sort various matters out amongst themselves than to impose uh, policy preferences on them. Now, it may well be the case that all of this conversation about whether she will be confirmed as education secretary is sort of uh, misguided or, or water under the bridge in the sense that um, all she needs is a majority in the Senate to be confirmed, and she can get that by having only Republican votes. Have you heard her say anything that would give pause to any Republican members of the Senate and lead you to question whether, in fact, she will be confirmed? Um, I have not. I mean, we have seen kind of the, the teachers' unions go into overdrive to oppose her nomination, I think, uh, if you don't mind me relating a cheeky analog that a friend told me, the teachers' unions have kind of reacted to her appointment along much the same way that one would expect uh, the Israelis to react if the U.N. appointed the head of Hezbollah to be their prime minister. So they have been kind of going into overdrive against her, but the fundamental question is can they flip three Republicans against her? Uh, and has she given any Republicans clear cause to break with the president and do that? And I think the answer is no. Um, of the many things that gain currency in social media, not one of them would ring a political conservative the wrong way. Of course, we should acknowledge that there are a lot of people right now pouring through pages and pages of financial disclosure information that was only recently made available, and who knows what we'll find in there. But uh, if she's, as one reporter had it recently, a run-of-the-mill billionaire, uh, then you'd expect her to uh, take office sometime early in the spring. Yeah, I mean, if she if she hasn't uh, committed major major tax fraud or other large improprieties or even small improprieties, uh, I doubt that there will be many things there. There might be many things there that would alarm uh, a political liberal or a Democrat based on how they reflect her social and political views, but uh, nothing in that nature that would alarm a political conservative or give a Republican a clear cause to break with the president and to vote against her. Well, Max, uh, I guess our listeners have heard it here first in that you're confidently predicting her confirmation, and hopefully we can have you back at some point to talk about how she performs once she's in office. Yeah, would love that. Thank you so much, Marty. Max Eden is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. His blog post, The Data on Detroit, is available now at educationnext.org. Max, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Thanks so much, Marty. Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast, released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org. <laughs>